You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Good morning. Good morning to those of you who are part of our church family, and good morning to those of you who are visiting with us this morning, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've been coming for a while. My name's Rick Bowers. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Redeemer. And today I have the joy of walking through this text with you. It's a text today that has admonishment for us, and it's a text today that has encouragement for us. Quite possibly some of the most tremendously encouraging words in all of our scripture. Remember this morning, we find ourselves walking through 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul has written a letter back to a church that he had planted because the church is in need of renovation. The church finds itself in the middle of a complex city, a city that's focused on materialism, a city that's focused on idolatry, a city that has a lot of focus on self. And the more and more time passes, the more and more the Christians in Corinth begin to look like the city and not like their Savior, not like Christ. And today, Paul has correction and encouragement for the Christians in Corinth and for us. And there are times in our life where we need both things, right? We need correction and we need encouragement. You guys might know this if you've ever played a sport or if you've ever played a musical instrument or if you've ever learned really any new skill at all. It's helpful to be told what you're doing wrong, but it's really more helpful to be told at the same time the right thing to do, led to the right thing to do. So Paul has three corrections for us today. There's three really obvious admonishments, corrections in the text. He says, stop deceiving yourselves. He says, stop boasting in your wisdom. And lastly, he'll say, stop judging others wrongly. And these three things, they actually have something in common. They're all waypoints on a pathway to pride. And pride can come in many ways in our lives But this is how it was showing up particularly in the life of the Corinthian church, and it can show up in our lives in this way as well. As Christians, living in an age very similar to the age that was happening, the time that was happening, and the things that were happening in Corinth, it can be tempting to follow this path of pride, to do things like this, to deceive ourselves, to begin to be arrogant and boastful about the way we're thinking, and then to judge others wrongly according to that thinking. But the God of the Bible is calling us to leave those things behind because they're foolish and because he has something so much better for us. And that's the truth that our text is gonna give us today. It's gonna show us that when we trust in the wisdom of the world, we end up boasting in rags when God, through Christ Jesus, is actually giving us riches. Pray with me, and we'll start our walk through the text today. Heavenly Father, would you remember your promises over us? Would you make them especially sweet to us this morning as we look to both correction and encouragement? Jesus, would you be our shepherd and our guide? Would you remind us of what you've done for us? And Holy Spirit, where we need correction, would you correct us? Would you convict us? Where we need encouragement, 
Would you lift our heads, lift our souls, lift our hearts? Where we need joy, would you provide it? We love you. We trust you. Amen. Let's look at our first starting point on this pathway to pride. The very first correction that Paul has for us. In verses 18 through 21, Paul says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. So let no one boast in men. We're going to stop right there. Let no one deceive himself. It's the very first thing Paul's telling us. Paul tells the Corinthians they've been duped. He says, you've been fooled. And it's actually themselves who've been doing the fooling. You're deceiving yourselves. He says, you're fooling yourselves. You've been trusting in the wisdom of Corinth, and you think it's wise, and it actually isn't. See, the Christians in Corinth had begun to think along the ways of the city. Paul actually calls it the age, there in verse 18, in the ways of the age. They were thinking that the ways of the age were wiser than the ways of the God of the Bible. They had not only seen the culture of the city and said, this is a way that we want to follow. They had begun to place that worldly wisdom above the wisdom of God, and it began to rule their decision-making. It began to color their attitudes. It began to affect how they viewed and lived alongside other people. They had hardened their minds and their resolve against the wisdom of God and elevated the wisdom of this world. And Paul says, stop that foolishness. He says, you know the wisdom of the world has already been shown to be absurd. And so he points back to two passages in the Old Testament, one from Psalms and one from Job. And these are texts that if you took the time to go look them up, that really compare and contrast the wisdom of God to the wisdom of this world. And what Paul is communicating here is that throughout time, the wisdom of God has always brought to ruin the wisdom of this world. Stop deceiving yourselves, Paul pleads with them. But that can be easy to do, right? It can be easy to fool ourselves, to listen to the wisdom of the age and to elevate it above God's wisdom. Most of us like to think and believe that deception comes from out there, that we're deceived from out there, not that we're deceived in here or that we're deceived in here. It's hard for us to imagine that we're deceiving ourselves often with our thinking, In his Institutes of the Christian Religion, theologian John Calvin opens up with these words. He says, Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. No God, no self. We need true wisdom about who we are because it's easy for us to fool ourselves into thinking that we're wise. It's easy for us to begin our own little pathway of pride right here with self-deception. Each one of us wants to be smart. We want to be wise. We want to make wise choices. We want to move forward in life and love and happiness and vocation and our passions. And we want to figure out how to function in this life in a way that we flourish and have joy. And that is a good thing. That is a good desire that we have. 
But we have to gain that wisdom about how to do that from somewhere. So this morning, the question comes to us, really, where are we gaining that wisdom? Where are we gaining the wisdom in our life on how to flourish and how to have joy? Sit through podcasts? Sit through social media? The internet? Maybe our feelings? We think our feelings can guide us to true joy and flourishing in this life. Maybe our friends? We need to be cautious about where we find our wisdom. This is what Paul wants us to see here. It's what he's pointing out. There's a way that the world will tell you that you can flourish, and it will come to you in a really pretty package that seems to make sense, and all your friends will be doing it, and it will tickle your feelings, and it will sound really, really good to you. And then there's a wisdom here in Scripture. There's a wisdom that God says will actually help you flourish and actually help you have joy. And these two ways are not compatible. You cannot follow both. One is actually wisdom and one is actually foolish. One looks like wisdom to the world but ends in ruin and destruction and pain. One looks foolish to the world but ends in joy and fulfillment. Worldly wisdom seems to make sense to us, though. Encouraging freedom and love for other people, that seems like a nice thing to do. And it makes sense to do that. So sure, we'll support our friend who says he wants to be free and is in love and he wants to leave his wife for another woman. Or maybe we want to accept other people the way they are, and we want to honor their feelings, and that feels like a virtuous act. So why wouldn't we support one woman marrying another woman? It sounds noble and hopeful to tell our children to just follow their heart and do whatever they feel and always stay true to themselves. But none of this wisdom works. It looks good. Maybe even it sounds good. Maybe... Even it feels good for the moment, but we fooled ourselves. Worldly wisdom does not lead to true life. Leaving our spouse for another woman is not love. LGBTQ relationships do not end in human flourishing and joy. Worldly wisdom does not lead to true life. Our hearts can be wicked and sinful if we tell our kids to follow them no matter what. They're likely going to end in all kinds of trouble. Putting worldly wisdom above God's wisdom, no matter how attractive it looks or how it makes us feel, puts us in the seat of a fool who's deceiving himself. And God, through Paul, pleads with us, stop, stop. So we've set off now on this pathway to pride that Paul's pointing out here. We started with self-deception, and the next stop on our pathway is boasting, arrogance, thinking highly of ourselves because of this wisdom that we fooled ourselves with. There's two places in our text Paul offers this correction. In verse 21 of chapter 3, he says, let no one boast in men. And in verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Don't boast. Don't be puffed up. 
So what are they puffed up about? They're puffed up about their wisdom. Here it's going to be specifically how they're thinking about church leaders. They're certain that the way they're thinking is the right way to think, and they are proud of it. It's moved from in here, thinking in here, now it's moved here. Now they're spewing it out of their mouths. They're arrogant. They're full of themselves. They're boasting about their opinion, and it is tearing apart God's people. You know what the Bible calls this kind of arrogance, this sort of boasting in your own thinking? The Bible calls this sort of behavior scoffing. In Proverbs 21, 24, it says, Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. This is a person who thinks their opinion or their wisdom is as good as fact. If you want some unpleasant homework, feel free to walk through Scripture and feel free to see how God addresses and thinks about a scoffer. This is a puffed up heart that is fixed on their way of thinking, and that's the source. It's really the source of their arrogance. Their mind is locked into the wisdom that they fooled themselves with, and no one, no one, not a friend, not a spouse, not a counselor, not a pastor, not even God himself is going to change their mind about how they think because they are so centered and focused and arrogant about their own thinking. The only voice they want to hear is their own. You might know people like this. Or if you think about your life and you don't know anyone like this, then you might be one. <laughs> These are people who won't listen to godly wisdom from anyone else. People who have strayed really far or are beginning to stray from the way of following Christ and are shackled to their own thinking. People who are making decisions and supporting ideas that are nowhere near what the God of the Bible calls us to. An example of this, social media to a T. People boasting about their own wisdom in the public sphere. People puffed up with their own selves and their own egos, eager to challenge anyone who threatens that ego. When your mind is so firmly fixed on something that you're enraged when someone challenges that or when someone tries to bring the wisdom of God against it, you might be a scoffer. The Bible tells us to sit in that kind of seat is a dangerous thing. Psalm 14 verse 1 tells us that the scoffer says to himself, there is no God. And it's not because they don't believe in a God. It's because they've replaced him with themselves. They've elevated themselves in their own mind. And this can be true in someone's life when it's everywhere when it sort of affects all of their thinking and all of their behavior. And it can also be true in a micro way, in how there's just that one opinion or that one thought or that one thing or that one soapbox that nobody's going to change your mind about and that goes blatantly against the God of the Bible. And here's the thing. When you're so puffed up by your own thinking, the natural progression on this pathway of pride is that you begin to constantly evaluate other people by your own thinking. You begin to constantly assess other people's lives by your own thinking. You start determining their worth. You start determining their value. 
You start determining their intelligence level. And do you know what you've done then? You've become their judge. And that leads us to our very last stop on this pathway to pride. Remember, we started with self-deception, made a stop on the way with arrogance and boasting, and then lastly, what Paul points out to us, judging others wrongly. Look at chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Paul says, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or in a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Do not pronounce judgment before the time, Paul says. By using worldly wisdom, the Corinthians were now judging other people. Specifically, here, they were judging the men who had taught the scriptures to them. Instead of using God's ways to evaluate this men, which Paul brings up, Paul says there are ways to evaluate these men through their stewardship and their servanthood and their faithfulness, but the Corinthians aren't using that. The Corinthians are using worldly wisdom to evaluate and judge these men, things like popularity and personality and preference. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and Paul's reminding them that they have no place using the wisdom of the world to judge the men that God has given to the church. But this is where the pathway to pride ends up. We end up playing God. We end up judging people not by the standards in here, but by the standards that we've come up with in here. And we don't just do this with Christian leaders. We use worldly wisdom to judge everyone. Moms in the room. If you're not pretty, if you're not fit, if you're not successful in your job and at your home, if you're not always pleasing your husband, if you're not being the best friend to every friend in your friendship group, if you're not present for every single one of your kids' 50 million activities, if you don't make their lunch every day and sing them a little Bible verse before they start off to school and help them memorize several books of the Bible before their life is over, if they're not all straight-A students and world-class athletes, and if you haven't had the time to post all of that on social media then according to this age, you might be failing at being a mom. Don't believe that lie. Worldly wisdom creates crushing standards that nobody, nobody can live up to. But we take that wisdom, and day by day by day, we use it to judge other people. And we can get confused sometimes with this judging others talk. Does scripture tell me that I'm supposed to judge other people? Does the Bible tell me that I'm not supposed to judge other people? In our culture, sometimes we weaponize judgment. We say, you can't judge me. You can't judge my life. You can't judge what I do or how I feel. 
or with false humility, we'll say, who am I to judge another person in their life and what they do with their life? And with both of these ways, we can excuse all kinds of evil and sin in the lives of people we love. Paul's not saying we shouldn't judge others. Paul's saying that we can't judge others according to the wisdom of the world. There is a way we're called to judge one another. He lays that out here specifically for Christian leaders, and your Bible's pretty clear all over about those kinds of instructions. But what we don't do is take the wisdom of the world, puff ourselves up with it in arrogance and boasting, and begin to cast judgment then on everyone else around us. This is the pathway to pride that God is pleading with us through Paul to come out of because it's foolish and it's ignorant and because he has something far, far, far better for us. Remember I said at the beginning, Paul had three corrections for us, but he also has encouragement. So here we are at the good stuff now. Paul's going to show us how to stop boasting in rags when God has given us riches in Christ Jesus. Look back at your text, starting in verse 21, the second half of verse 21. Paul says, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I read um, scripture, any book, I can go several pages and I have to stop and say, what did I just read? Like sometimes we can read text or we can zip through text and we can see it, but we don't see it. And I feel like sometimes we do that with passages like this in Scripture. These three verses contain one of the most profound realities in your entire Bible. And within them lies the power for you to transform how you think about, for God to transform how you think about your life. Paul is telling the Corinthians to stop boasting in worldly wisdom because there is an infinitely better truth available to them. There is a better reality for them to live in than the reality that they're believing right now. He says, this worldly way of thinking, you've walked this pathway of pride with it. You've fooled yourself with it. And now you're boasting about it and you're judging others with it. You're judging one leader better than another leader by this worldly wisdom. And you're even boasting about how you follow these leaders. I follow Paul. I follow Cephas. I follow Apollos. But you've missed it. He says, you don't belong to these leaders. They belong to you. And then Paul reaches up. And he pulls the blinders off and he says, not only do these leaders belong to you, but so does everything else. Look at that verse, church. All things are yours. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, 
the world, life, death, the present, the future. These are leaders. If we could categorize these, these are leaders. These are powers. And then this is time. And because you are Christ's and Christ is God's and God rules all these things, these things belong to you. So why would you ever boast about them? Why would you be arrogant with them? Why would you judge others by them? Don't you see you've been given these things? They're yours. So what does this mean? What does this mean? This list, leaders, powers, time, they're the massive forces of our age, right? Feels like we live day in and day out underneath their rule. And when the world hands us its cute little wisdom about these things, we buy into it because we would love to figure out how to rule over the things that seem to rule over our lives. We'll run really fast to that kind of wisdom. Like when, the, when worldly wisdom figures out how to beat time, tells us to praise youth and beauty and live in the moment. So we do everything we can to keep gravity from affecting our bodies. And we work so hard to preoccupy ourselves with beauty and youth. We worship it in our appearances. Or because we're so busy living in the moment, we start to disregard the elderly and the aging and the sweet saints who have far better stories to tell than we ever will. When worldly wisdom says that true joy in life is unobstructed freedom. So if you're pregnant and don't want to be, there's a solution for that. And people run to it. When worldly wisdom says that this leader will solve all of your problems and we lose our sanity as we get behind them. When the world drops that fishing line out there and baits it with wisdom about leaders and powers and time, we swim right up to it and we bite. And here's why. Look at that list again. These are not only the biggest rulers of our lives. They're also the things we fear the very most. They're the things we have absolutely no control over. One theologian calls this list the tyrannies of our existence. It's a good way to describe them. We feel like these things are constantly exercising power over us. And they're tyrannical and they're wicked and they're unforgiving and they're cruel in how they rule us. Leaders in one country invade another country and suddenly costs for this commodity skyrocket and your paycheck doesn't go as far anymore. Leaders in our schools and in our marketplaces and in our country begin pushing agendas everywhere. And the fabric of our family we feel like is ripping apart. Or life, this category of life, life is hard. The day-to-day is a grind. Getting up, going to work, coming home, making dinner, going to bed. Getting up, going to work, coming home, making dinner, going to bed. Getting up, going to work. We just don't want to do it anymore. Or death. It comes suddenly, unexpectedly, a phone call, 
an accident, a bad report, or time. It rushes by with blazing speed and doesn't wait for any of us. Many of our kids just move from one grade to the next. Some of them graduated. And we look back and think, man, what, what, what did I miss? Or maybe with time, we pull up our retirement fund on the computer and we look at it and say, man, it's almost time for me to start drawing this and there's just nothing there. But it's too late to save now. Leaders, the world, life, death, the present, the future, they're all harbingers, bringers of pride because we think through worldly wisdom we've figured them out, or bringers of fear because we're cowering under their tyrannical rule over our lives. But Christian, please don't miss the words in verse 21. Paul says, all things are yours. Because of Jesus, these things belong to you, to the church. They are yours. Here's how, and if you've not been listening all morning, please listen to this. Each one of these things serves one person, the living God of the Bible. When he says jump, they say, how high? And when you have repented and trusted in Christ and you belong to him, you have the spirit of God living in you and uniting you with him and uniting you with his universal lordship over all these things. And as he moves all these things, each one of them to serve his purposes and his glory and his good, because you are united to him, he is working them to serve your good as well, the hands of Jesus Christ are molding and shaping every one of these things, ultimately working in your life for your good, even when it hurts, even when you don't understand why, even when you spend another hour alone, even when it seems like everything has fallen apart. Jesus is taking care of you. He is a strong and courageous groom caring for his bride, the church. This truth helps us to live a life of true Christian freedom. The world will tell us to look at these things and either be prideful because we think we figured them out, or it'll tell us to cower in fear under them. But the people of God do neither. Christ rules them. And he's working all things for our good. That, that is the wisdom of God. And it kind of makes the wisdom of this age just look silly. God's given us these riches in Jesus. So why would we ever boast in the rags of this world? As we close this morning, I'd like to draw your attention to the end of our passage, verse 7. Paul's offered correction, admonishment. He's offered tremendous encouragement. And then he asks some questions to drive his points home a little bit. 
The second question he asks there is, what do you have that you did not receive? So this morning, I just want you to ask yourself that. What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that was brought about by your own hand, by your own doing? The obvious answer is nothing. Nothing worth having was brought about by our own hand. All things are given to us by God. So what did you have that you did not receive? Nothing. But what have you received? I think Paul would say everything. Everything, Christian. In Christ Jesus, you have everything you need. And no tyranny of this age will ever take it from you. Not death. Not life. Not angels, not rulers, not things present, not things to come, not powers, not height, not depth, not anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. No fear, no boasting, all things are yours and being worked for your good. Let's pray, church family. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you and just ask right now that where there are things in our life that are bringing pride to us or where there are things in our life that we're so fearful of, I just want to ask that we would be reminded that you are working all things for our good. That there's a way in which these things are not to be owned by us in pride, for us not to seek worldly wisdom around these things, for us not to seek boastful ways about these things. For us not to be fearful of them either because they're in your hand. I just ask this morning that that would be a tremendous encouragement to each and every person here, myself included, as we go about the week in front of us, the week you've given us. We love you. We trust you. Thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.